Every great poem ever written starts with a blank page, and rarely is the finished project the same as it was when the idea was born. Matthew Zapruder is an acclaimed poet, editor, and professor, as well as a husband and a dad. A few years ago, he began documenting the process of writing a new poem, but the project to illuminate poetry for us turned into a personal one for him. Writing gave him a way to process his son's diagnosis with autism, and Matthew discovers unexpected connections between writing poetry with all the revisions and changes in course along the way, and parenting an atypical child. His new book is called Story of a Poem, a Memoir, and Matthew Zapruder joins us now. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Jesse. Great to have you back on air in New Zealand. We had the pleasure of talking to you about your book, which is called Why Poetry. You've also been a contributor in other ways to our show over the years, so thank you. Um, the first was a sort of a passionate argument for reading poetry, and if that one was the why, I wonder if this book sort of started out as the how. Yeah, indeed. I think that's a good way to sum it up. I, I uh, The first book is is was sort of an effort to explain to a general reader how one might approach poetry, and it was a lot of fun to write that. And this one started out differently. It was born more out of a desire to sort of explore my own process and to, to sort of illuminate what it might look like to create something from the inside, as it were. Where do you start to write a poem? <laughs> Wherever I can. <laughs> I, I, I look for any type of uh, spark of interest or inspiration. Sometimes it's a, just a word. Sometimes it's an image. Sometimes it's something I hear someone else say. Uh, it's, you know, a stray thought, anything. And I've gotten better over the years at at identifying the sorts of beginnings that might lead to something. And yeah, I just write it down and start seeing what else comes. And there's no other, I don't know any other way to do it. And part of the process of writing this book was writing letters to another poet. That That's quite different, isn't it, to, say, keeping a journal that, that no one's meant to read? Yeah, I think it was, the thing I liked about doing that was that it was an explicit uh, acknowledgement that for me, so much of writing is communication. And I think that sometimes poetry can be seen as this sort of solipsistic, you know, very self-centered activity, but really most of the poems that I love are uh, look outwards, you know, look for a reader, even if that's not a specified person or a listener or another presence in the world. So yeah, I think I think that was one of the things I liked about doing it that way. Yeah, poetry does a job for two people, for the for the writer and for the reader. And there's been so much talk about artificial intelligence writing Shakespearean sonnets and no one can tell the difference. Of course that's skips the process and I wonder if you skip the process do you kind of skip the point of writing poetry in the first place for me you do I I I, uh, I think it's funny that people are so worried about um artificial intelligence writing poems I spe- I, I suppose it'd be good if they were busy doing that instead of you know taking over the world or... <laughs> yeah let's <laughs> so, use poetry to, poetry to distract them Exactly. Let's distract them. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't start out thinking of it this way. But I think, you know, since the book's been around the time the book was published, and since there has, as you said, been a lot of talk about AI and, and creativity. But I think that um, it would be hard for an artificial intelligence to write a book where it showed its work, it showed its method of creating in a way that was that was interesting to people. So maybe this book in a way is, is turned out to be 
doing something that you know only a human could do for better and for worse yeah and did you did you feel in this process of writing the book that you that your role was kind of shifting from poet to storyteller you know, it's really interesting that you asked that. Uh, I, I, the, the argument of why poetry, a lot of it is that poetry has a kind of specific purpose, and that's to do something with language that, you know, stories and newspaper articles and sermons can't do. And I guess in this case, I thought about something that's almost the inverse of that. I thought, what's the overlap between telling a story and writing a poem and writing about one's own life and writing about other lives, like where does that all intersect? Like where does that all overlap? And so, yeah, I I, I got interested in trying to tell a story in a prose way, um, which is not something I've really ever learned how to do. So it was mm. definitely learning a job. Yeah, um, and the book begins as many good stories do. Once upon a time, boy meets girl, boy takes <laughs> girl to Emily Dickinson's grave. Just the standard uh, standard courting behavior. They fall in love, they get married. And did you feel like your life to that point was kind of following a narrative that you had in your head about meeting someone to share a life? I think so. I think I think that's a that's very astute. Yeah, I think un- unconsciously maybe I was uh, following a story that I had in my head, like so many of us do. And you know, the this, the the book does begin in an almost uh, in a very standard way. You know, and it literally begins with "Once Upon a Time." And and hmm. and I I. I guess I tried to write the books, this beginning of the book so many times, and then I realized, well, that process has worked. That that approach of telling it in that way has worked for so many people in the past. I might as well not reinvent the wheel, as it were, you know. So it's kind of fun to just sort of write it like a like a story, yeah. like almost like a fairy tale. And then the story you expected changes. Um, the story that every parent tells themselves about having a healthy baby that meets all the milestones and thrives. When did you know that your son was perhaps not a typical baby boy? Um, I I started to get a feeling around one and a half or so that he was he just responding differently to stimuli around him and behaving differently. I mean, he you know he was he was you know active, wonderful baby, but it just he was different. And so then around the age of two uh, was when we, you know, got a formal, um, they call it a diagnosis, although I don't, not crazy about that term, because yeah. I think it's sort of turns autism, which is really a difference into like this uh, kind of a Yeah, medicalized it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, but it's a helpful, it's helpful to know this about your child, because then you, you know, you do think, do things differently mm. and get courses and help. So I don't object to the term, but it's just, yeah, so it was around two years old and it was, it was, a, it was quite a shock and. Um, it, you know, as the book chronicles, I really, I had so much to learn about, uh, autism and about difference. And I really had to reckon with a lot of ideas that I didn't know I had about that, all that stuff. And that's been, that's been a great, you know, at times very difficult, but I think really worthwhile journey for me over these years. And you write your words. I felt that suddenly all my dreams for him were over and you write about feeling ashamed of yourself for those thoughts what happens when you actually write those thoughts down in words? Oof. Um, it's tough. It was tough to admit that about myself, you know, and I think, um, you know, I think that one mistake that parents can make a big mistake is living through their kids. And um, I think in a, in a way it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me where I was shocked out of doing that at that early age. And my kid is a wonderful kid and he has his own life and he's his own person. And um, my job is to help him be, the person he can be. And 
I think a lot of parents say that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but it's hard to actually, you don't realize how much you have uh, kind of poured into your child and how, how, how much you are depending on them kind of turning out a certain way or being a certain way. And I, I might've been in danger of being one of those parents who was living through my kids, my kid. Yeah. You're brutally honest, but then I wonder if your training as a poet um, helps you out with that. Poetry kind of requires brutal honesty, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it requires um, being really interested in things turning out differently than you expected and in and in things being strange and in things being, uh, you know, just, just excitingly different than than the ordinary. And I think I knew, I write in the book, you know, I knew that in writing, but I didn't really know it in life. Mm-hmm. I think I was one of those people that thought of myself as more idiosyncratic and iconoclastic than I actually was. <laughs> so turns out turns out i was a very you it's know, probably a uh, common problem Matthew. <laughs> yeah it is it is and i and you know i i think i i never really had to think about it that much and it was it's one thing to be strange and accept a lot of difference in your in your poems or sort of in your rhetoric and it's another to do it in your life and so i'm very grateful that i that i had to to use in a very American expression, Jesse, put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have that one too. If you just tuned sure in, yeah, if you just tuned in, uh, tuned in, I'm talking to Matthew Zapruder, a poet um, who has written a book called "Story of a Poem: A Memoir" about the unexpected connections between uh, writing poetry and raising a son with autism. Uh, Forgive me if this is too personal a question, but parenting can be a, a lonely thing, even when you have a partner. Did, did you find yourself saying stuff in your poetry that, that maybe you held back from your partner, Sarah? Yes. I think that, you know, when I write, I think my policy is generally to put it all down on the page, mm-hmm. whether I'm writing poetry or prose. And then I'm also a person who I, I personally believe that if people are going to be affected by my writing, I want to check with them and talk with them before I publish it. And so there were things I wrote about my feelings about being the father of this particular child that after I wrote them were were painful to read and mm. honest. And, and so I, I it was hard. And then, but I always show everything to Sarah. And if she's ever uncomfortable with anything, or, or if she ever were, I would, I would, I would not publish it, but she didn't she never said not to do anything. So, so yeah, it was, it was hard. Sometimes it was hard for me to look at things I'd written. And then sometimes it was hard for me to show her, but also, okay. I mean, life is, you know, I mean, it's, it's just life and it's, it's, it's the, the, the difficulty of it was mitigated and balanced always by so much love and joy and happiness being with this child. You know, it's not, I mean, I'm very, we're very, very fortunate to have the child that we have. So I think it was always, there was always a good balance there, but, but yeah, it was, it, that's a, that's a good question, Jesse. It was tough sometimes for sure. And how does writing poetry help you understand your son? Well, in a lot of ways, I think, I think it's less about understanding mm. him than it is about understanding my own self uh-huh. in relation to him. Uh, I mean, I, I think there are things about language acquisition and i write about this in the book that are interesting you know about watching someone learn language especially in a very different way from uh how language came to me i mean language came so easily to me um and you know he has to work a lot harder for it and so it comes slower but it's really fascinating because you see i see him 
acquiring it. And so I'm learning a lot about actually how language works, um, you know, in a way that I never really saw before. And so that's really interesting. And I've written about that both in, in this book, but then also poems too. And I think it's, it's made me a better poet and a better writer, um, more care with language, more attention to it. And yeah, it's, so that, that, that's something I've learned a lot from him. One of the many things I've learned from him. I would say. Yeah, and I should point out that that I imagine all parents of a child with autism have a bit of a journey, but you are a words guy, right? Words are everything to you. And and so I imagine that's a bit of a reframing of of what communication is and and how to do it and and where to get your value from it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that you've said it. I mean, I think that one thing you learn is that there's lots of ways to communicate and we live in such a word-based culture. I mean, right now you and I are talking, we're, 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 you know, all the, our information is being communicated through this incredible mechanism of language. But of course, there are many ways to communicate. And again, that's something that I think I would have said five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but I understand it in a different way. I also talk a bit in the book about non-speaking autistics. I mean, my, my, my child can speak, but, but there are lots, lots of autistic people who don't, don't use language to communicate or they don't speak and maybe they use language through assistive technology. And so I've gotten very interested in investigating that too. That's a fascinating realm of, of, you know, uh, human, how the human mind works in different ways. It's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And so I've, I've started to just started to kind of look into that more. And I don't want to overcook this, but, but is it possible that some of the tools that you apply to poetry metaphor and symbology that kind of the way you decode or unlock a poem might be useful um unlocking uh, the, the the secrets and the meaning of uh, someone who communicates in a different way like simon does i think that's a really interesting point i've i've i think there's more thinking i need to do about that but i do um understand his, his, his things i mean i think this is true for all kids but you know things in the world, like objects in the world or phenomena in the world to have huge symbolic values for kids in a way that is like, really, there is an overlap with poetry. Mm-hmm. And so I think that maybe my, my obsessive interest in that in my poems is helps me when he is, is really focused on a certain object or a certain, or, or, or a certain word to describe an object. I think he and I can relate. We can connect. We have a commonality of interest in that so yeah he he's a wonderful he's a wonderful living poet (laughs) and so so yeah so we so he and i he and i i can really relate to him in those ways for sure yeah train tracks are more than just train tracks right (laughs) yeah yeah they are they are and i i think in the book i'd say you know why you know why do you love trains and we've had lots of conversations about that and and i think that you know they're 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 when you really listen, it's th- fascinating things get said about that. And it's, it's really, you know, there's, there's, and it's made me be, be so much more attentive to things I would never be attentive to like trains. Trains are really cool. I never, I was never, <laughs> really they're actually super cool. They're amazing. Yeah. You know? I know, now I know more about them. So, you know, uh-huh. um, and I don't want to mischaracterize the book, which is as much uh a story about becoming a parent to any child, not necessarily parent to an, uh, a child with autism, your poem, Our Custody, gives voice to something so many parents grapple with, which is what kind of world are we creating for our children? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, so the poem that I start, spoiler alert, <laughs> the poem that I start 
writing in the beginning of the book, you know, goes through a lot of changes, as you said, and and the book has, you know, these facsimiles of I use the type, typewriter to work on it quite a bit. And and then by the end, it, it transforms into a very, very different poem, I think, which is really not so much about not not really at all about my kid, but about, you know, the sort of um, uh, ineradicable uh, stain, American stain of like these um you know migrant camps on our our southern border where where children have been separated from their parents and sort of a, a th- trying to sort of name that um in the poem and and really really that that was something and continues to be something that's on a lot of our minds and the feelings of helplessness we have when thinking about those children and our responsibility in relation to it is really you know it's a huge thing it can't be solved in a poem or in a in hundred poems it, it can, but it can be named, I guess. I wondered reading your book if if <laughs> polarization and entrenchment of ideas might be usefully viewed as a failure to revise. For sure. I think that's a great point. I love that. I love that point. And if, you know, I mean, I'm not a big both sides kind of guy. I mean, I think that I think <laughs> that, you know, that, you know, there are people who are behaving a lot worse than other people. And, and so I'm not trying to say that everybody's all the same, but, you know, I do, I do think that a failure to see, yeah, a failure to grow and change one's ideas and be, be flexible and willing to, willing to, yeah, revise your life is, is to be frozen in a certain kind of fearful stance. You know, I think that that's when I look at people who are, you know, that right, as you know, right now in America, we're going through this horrendous, yeah, we're watching all these people pass these laws about trans people, which are just absolutely inhumane. And you know, you think like, what are you really afraid of? What kind of change and what kind of difference can't you accept? What's threatening you? Why are you doing this? And I and I think those people are frozen in something. You know, I don't I don't know how to get them out, but I I think saying they're not willing to revise is as good a way to put it as any. You know, I asked you this last time, but it must be. Must be five or six years since we last chatted, so I'm I'm keen to ask you again: What place does poetry have in the modern world? Oh, um, well, it's maybe the one thing that those computers can't write. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think that um, I think it's. I'd probably give a similar answer to what I asked, what I said a few years ago, which is, you know, I think it holds on to a way of thinking, a way and a way of being. And when you when you write it, you're in this participating in this way of being. And when you read it, you're participating in this way of being that's very human. It's very attentive to the world. It's attentive to other people. It's attentive to language. And you know, Simone Weil, the the the, the philosopher Simone Weil, wrote this great sentence that I think about so often: "Attention is the purest form of generosity." Hmm. And I think when we give our attention to a poem, and when we feel it echoed in there i think it's a very human thing and i think it creates more generosity in us and more attention and more more life and so i don't know I, it feels more and more precious to me as time goes on and i don't care that it that poets don't sell a billion copies of their of their books and i don't care that poets aren't paid what novels are, are paid i think i think you know poems are doing important work and will continue to always and final question, you, you quote another poet who said that poetry is like faith. It isn't meant to be understood, but to be received in a state of grace. So have you found that grace for yourself, Matthew? Sometimes I do. So often I don't, but sometimes I do, and sometimes I find it in poems. But 
I'm just as likely to find it, you know, playing with my kid or being with my wife or, 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 or going for a walk. And, and yeah, I find it sometimes and I look for it and, uh, yeah, I, I'm very grateful for that, for what poetry has brought me. So I tried to reflect that in this book and I hope I did and my gratitude mostly. When are you going to come and see us in New Zealand? I don't know. As soon as I can, I'd love to come see New Zealand. Hold, hold, hold the space for me, as they say. Direct so. flights from SFO, Matthew. Just let us know. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> On my way. Well, the new book is called Story of a Poem, a Memoir, and I've been talking to poet, editor, and professor Matthew Zapruder from Oakland. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much, Jesse, and thanks to all your listeners.